Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hello, everyone. Um, this is RJ. Jordan is probably on his way, um, but we don't want to waste our guests' time. So we're here with a former guest and friend of the pod, Matthias Arns. Matthias, how are you? Hi, RJ. Thank you. I'm doing well, and I'm really happy to be back again, talking to you and Jordan, hopefully later. And yeah, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, you're still uh, one of the top uh, top downloads on our on our podcast list, and we're at uh, number seventy. That's not all interviews, but uh, so uh, people definitely liked what you had to say, and it's hard to imagine not. So, uh, first of all, how are you doing? It's, uh, you've you moved to Germany six months ago. Is that yeah, uh, or less even? I I moved here um, at the beginning of April, and. Um, as we just talked earlier, I, I just got back off the mountain from training uh, about half an hour ago. And uh, hmm. for the Canadian listeners, it, it felt like Canada because it was seven degrees here at the end of <laughs> July. A uh, big yeah. change yeah. from 34 a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah. Any chance of snow in the next couple of days? or I don't assume we will get snow <laughs> here, but there was a snow forecast for the Bavarian Alps at 2,000 oh, wow. meter. Right. And because that usually all disappears every winter, right? Or every summer, sorry. No, I, yeah, here for sure. The snow mm -hmm. here, actually, um, last winter was pretty poor in Germany or in Central Europe in general. So the mm -hmm. snow disappeared quite early. I still remember, so I did my first run, mountain run here. And uh, I've still found quite a bit of snow at the highest peak here in the region, which is uh, Mount Arbor. And okay. uh, there was actually snow in a meadow where we could have skied. Wow. And it, it, are there any, uh, so you're in the, the Bayern region, right? Yes, it's uh, part of the uh, state of Bavaria. And it's sort of uh, a northeastern part of Bavaria and it's called okay. the Bavarian Forest and it is really looking down from for example from Arbor it, it just re reminds me of, of Canada looking down because it's it's a carpet mm. of, of uh, forest so it's uh, wow. somewhat I was surprised because I saw it much more population but um, here this area is quite still really rural and um, a lot of forestry going on, and okay. uh, yeah. So yeah, for for those who don't know, um, you grew up in Germany, right? And then you made your trip to Canada a little while ago. I don't know how many years ago that was, but uh, uh, and then you recently moved back. So um, were you from this area originally, or no? Originally, I grew up uh, quite a bit further south in the Bavarian Alps close to a place called Mittenwald. And that's actually all the way I did uh, biathlon myself. That was a long time ago um, when actually biathlon was still classic. It's sort of neat oh, because wow. I, I was <laughs> yeah. in the first year where biathlon was um, switched to 22 caliber. 
from the big caliber. Okay. So that was my first year in biathlon as a youth. And then uh, I was in the last year of skate, uh, classic skiing. After I stopped biathlon, it switched actually to skate skiing. And so that was the late 70s, early 80s. And as I said, uh, I grew up in a region close to Mittenwald, which is still nowadays between Mittenwald and Garmisch. Uh, there is a training center where quite a few famous uh, athletes are, are coming from, like mm -hmm. Laura Dahlmeier, Magdalena Neuna, now Selina Grotian, and, and so on. And uh, yeah, that's where I grew up originally. And then I moved to Canada um, in the early 90s and yeah, had 30 years in Canmore. Right, right. And so, because um, last week we were talking to, uh, to Scott, um, Gao and we were talking a little bit about you know there's a lot of traditionalists in biathlon um, as we were discussing a potential future move to like uh, laser rifles or or something similar just to uh, make it a bit more affordable for people to join. But how how do you remember what caused the switch from classic to to skate skiing and and was there a lot of resistance or was it kind of a sort of a mutual agreement that that was better for the sport or well, definitely, uh, in those years, uh, it was still a development of the skating technique, but also in the way of the uh, equipment. Because initially, we, we almost skated with classic skis. And hmm. um, and then the industry... And boots, I'm assuming. Sorry? The, the classic boots. Yeah, and the boots were yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> More like yeah, cla yeah. Uh, classic boots or combi boots nowadays. And... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so uh, the switch or the that the industry reacted to it and, and provided better equipment for sure made it uh, skating more popular. And um, but in biathlon specifically, uh, I think because we already have the second component of shooting, and mm -hmm. now when you add classic skiing, we we had to zero at the rifles, but we also had to test skis for kick for right. kick wax so it was a, a, quite a um, a lot of workload to right. get the skis ready and uh, so i think it was simplifying the system was to go skate only okay and then the, they didn't have to put the trails in that kind of thing because i'm assuming yeah, that the, was, I mean, uh, initially, and, and even if you look at um, the old Kenmore trails, which are about four and a half meter wide, and nowadays, mm -hmm. you know, the, the new uh, competitive trails, whether for cross country or biathlon, are up to 12 meters wide. Right. Uh, right. In, in those Olympic days of the 80s, of 88, for example, in Kenmore, the trails were only four and a half meter. So hmm. skating for sure it was more challenge to to pass someone and right. um but yeah it it just evolved in the way of the equipment in the way of uh, the grooming um and all that and then skating became an easier way to actually pick up the sport and um right. without the hassle of of uh looking after kick wax and so on right and and I always assume nowadays that it's typically Norway and maybe, um, you know, Sweden, Germany that are a bit more traditional and, and more resistant to change. I don't know if that's actually true, but 
Uh, was that the same in, in those days already? Like were the Norwegians very traditional and kind of against it or was it? There definitely was uh, resistance by the Scandinavians, but more in, in cross country than really in biathlon. Because as I said, in biathlon, they were rather thinking, okay, how could we simplify the aspect of getting skis ready? Uh, because right. it is already a busy preparation uh, with the warm-up and, and the searing of the rifles. So right. uh, in biathlon, there wasn't so much resistance to it. Okay. And then you also mentioned the uh, the rifles from a heavier caliber to 22s. Is that when the uh, Anschutz biathlon rifle that most people use now was introduced, or was that already... No, that definitely was introduced then as a 22 biathlon rifle. And um, so what, of course, that did was much more access for younger um, athletes mm -hmm. for the development of the sport and also in the way of ranges. Uh, I mean, you can imagine having a big bore range needs a lot more uh, area and, and safety um distance than let's right. say a 22 plus of course the cost factor of of just one one bullet uh mm -hmm. so that made the, the the sport more affordable uh more accessible and uh yeah uh, promoted it in a to a bigger audience right and and you already on the heavier caliber you, you still shot 50 meter on the range or no no i i never shot a big bullet. Oh, okay uh, okay when I started biathlon, I was uh, 16 years old, and it was uh, 22. But it was the first year that 22 was being used. Right, right. Okay. Do you still have that rifle? I actually still have it. Wow. And it's uh, still an old um, bolt-action rifle, but it shoots okay. still very well. <laughs> nice. I just shot it this past winter in Canmore, and uh, it makes groups like, yeah, uh, like in, in 30 years, or this is 40 years ago. <laughs> and Right. Yeah, well, you still only... make groups with it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the thing is that, uh, yeah, uh, there was another development. I can't remember now the year where Peter Fortner developed the, the Fortner action, which mm -hmm. is a straight bolt action, as right. you know it. And, yep. um, yeah, that was a, a big advancement again. Okay. Was he was he working for Anschutz at the time, or did Anschutz kind of buy his idea? Or uh, no, he uh, up to this day um, he's still the supplier for Anschutz with okay. this system and other parts parts of, uh, for the rifle. Okay, so I'm actually going there on Monday with my team, and we will check our rifles before the season nice. uh, that everything is working properly, and yeah. So is that the Anschutz factory? The... No, this is not the Anschutz factory. This is actually Fortner, the Fortner oh, okay. factory and workshop. And they have uh, some very uh, talented uh, gunsmiths. And mm -hmm. uh, there is one, for example, who just works for mainly for Biathlon. And um, he will check the rifles that the, the action works uh, properly and smooth and looks after... Yeah, that the, the rifle is really ready for racing and has no yeah. issues. Uh, oh, that's cool. Because um, is the the Anschutz factory is that in Bayern or Bavaria? Yeah, as it's well? also in Bavaria. So it, it, everything is very close. 
Yeah. Uh, Anschutz factory is uh, in Ulm, which is also uh, from here probably around two hours, two and a half hours. And Fortner is about the same distance, just a, a little bit further east on the way to Ruppolding, where we will go next week for a training camp. Nice. So, yeah, can you, um, so you, I think you originally came to Canada as a national coach. Was that your first job in Canada of, Actually, the, of the Canadian team? Uh, initially, I came to Canada as a mountain guide because that's my other profession and certification. And the lure of heli skiing brought me to Canada. <laughs> okay. And that's what I initially did. And then uh, uh, when our sons were yeah, two years old, I mean, as a mountain guide, you, you are away even more than as a coach. And then uh, mm -hmm. I started up, um, well, there was an offer for uh, a job offering for um, head coach with Canmore Nordic Ski Club. And okay. I applied and I got the job. And this was uh, the, the switch back to uh, Nordic uh, coaching. And uh, so that's what brought me back into coaching. Okay. And then, um, and then so you, you became the national coach and then um, you transferred to the BATC? Yeah, it was. Um, I started out as uh, the head coach for Canmore Nordic, and Canmore Nordic always had um, both cross country and biathlon. And I think a very well functioning system in the way of having athletes trained together for the ski specific and for the physiological aspects of training. Uh, cross country skiers and biathletes are together. And then when it's more specific with shooting, of course, the biathletes do their shooting training. And the uh, cross-country skiers do a bit more classic skiing. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, yeah, I did that for uh, 10 years. And um, and then I got asked by Biathlon Canada whether I would like to take um, over the junior national team. And my journey with uh, the Canadian biathletes with the national team was really uh, special and neat because... Those athletes I took over as youth and juniors, like, um, for example, Brandon Green, Nathan Smith, then later uh, Rosanna Crawford, Megan Emery, and so on. They, um, I really went with them for 15 years, and they did mm -hmm. with me. We had a, an amazing journey together from starting at Junior World Championships, then going to IBU Cups, then going to World Cups, and then going to three Olympics. And um, when the last uh, athlete, um, Brandon Green, uh, stopped in, in 2019, I pretty much stopped as well with um, the World Cup team. And right. uh, I started with uh, the Biathlon Alberta Training Center, again, clothing the circle, uh, coaching young athletes um, in from age 17 to 23. Mm -hmm. So that's still kind of your preference is the, the younger athletes? Uh, not necessarily, but uh, it's for sure. Uh, I, I, I think, I mean, it was an amazing journey to do it this way, which I don't think a lot of uh, coaches have the chance to move from sort of youth all the way to uh, World Cup uh, Olympics right, right. and then back to youth and juniors. But I think actually that this 
would be a really good system to have um, experienced coaches to go after a certain time on the highest level to go back to younger athletes and to um, coach them because uh, with the experience I, I got on the highest level, I know what is needed on the younger level. So mm. I think this uh, would be a good system for any coach. Right, right. And it's, and, um, I don't know how long your contract is and everything, but uh, with the German team, would you envision that too? Did you kind of stay with the group that you're starting with now? No, um, I don't think so um, because uh, it's really more layered here. And uh, I, I, mean, I have a contract here with uh, this training center at Arbor for the next four years and leading up to the 2026 uh, Junior World Championship. And uh, again, it's a, a young group of youth and junior athletes, age um, 17 to 19. And um, yeah, so I'm mainly focusing on uh, developing here a team uh, in regards of their training, but also what's um, sort of unique, which has been in the plans for the past two years, but never really um, happened is um, an, a so-called um, academy program where actually we will have now from uh, this new school year starting we will have some athletes um in a in a sports school scenario where they they have actually room and board they go to a, a germany high school that's called gymnasium uh for for their education i pick them up mm -hmm. after school drive up to the training center and then uh, bring them back uh after training and uh, so to have this in-house um yeah dual career uh so education and and sport um, right, right. at this training center and if they've, they've done that for a long time right that's that's not something well very in, recent. in other uh, places uh in germany this for right. example Ovolf is is quite famous that way they have had this mm -hmm. for many many years and um uh, but here at this uh, location in the Bavarian Forest at Arbor, and uh, it's it's the first time. Okay. And then, so um, when you compare like young kids getting into biathlon between Canada and Germany, and I'm I'm guessing in Germany it's a lot more popular than here. But um, do that does that do they still start with a club and then they? If they're good enough, they get promoted to potentially go to these schools. Or how do, how do, how does a, a child that is interested in biathlon kind of progress into the German system? Yeah, in a way, it's similar to Canada. the The big difference is that um, Germany has, of course, a, a big culture um, of biathlon. Uh, the um, yeah, I mean it's it's in TV, it's uh, in the media, it's in the news. It's a, a very po it's the most popular winter sport in Germany mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, lots of viewers on TV, lots of spectators when there are World Cups in Germany, and right. uh, that creates, of course, a different motivation or interest uh, in the younger population. 
um, than in Canada, where you only see biathlon on TV every four years during the Olympics. Right. And um, so from that perspective, um, for sure, there is uh, a high um, interest and, and um, by spectators and, and also young athletes. And usually they start out first in a club. Right. And then uh, there is a, it's also the, 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 the laws, the gun laws are quite different in Germany that you can only shoot uh, 22 by the age of 16. So up to the age of 15, you, you only can shoot an uh, air rifle and you cannot okay. start before the age of 12. So in that regard, athletes start later, start mm -hmm. with an air rifle and also actually shoot with uh, air rifle standing. And then by age 16, they switch to uh, 22. Um, okay. So, and and mainly the, the, the program with the air rifles is happening in clubs. And then uh, it might be training centers uh, by in certain regions where the athletes then uh, shoot with the 22. And then... Uh, one unique system uh, Germany has is support by authorities like the army, the police, and the customs um, that athletes at the highest uh, national level can join. Those organizations are getting a salary to be actually an athlete. Okay. And uh, and that already at a very young age, let's say with the police system already at 17, with okay. the army at 18. And that provides them uh, with the support needed to be right. a full-time athlete. Because uh, we talked earlier, you know, our, our athletes um, I had at the Alberta Training Center, pretty much um, they, in order to afford the training center fees, the tour fees, everything, uh, the camp fees, they had to work. And right. uh, that's the, the biggest difference. And so um, so in Germany, when they're, you know, 17, 18, and they, they are part of the police force, is there any requirements with regards to doing police work or like police training? Or is it expected that as an athlete, you're basically that that's your job? No, it's um, they have to to go uh, through education or training uh, every every year. The police, uh, for example, have about what do we have now? Uh, middle of July, so about a good two months of uh, police training, uh, and uh, before they can commit again a uh, hundred percent back to um, yeah their biathlon training. Okay. And the army is a little different. The army, you do your basic training uh, when you join the army. And when I look back at my time, I only had six weeks of basic training and then was an athlete for the remaining time. Uh, mm. I don't know what it is now, whether it's six weeks or, or uh, three months. Um, I actually don't know at the moment. But mm. anyway, um, the army does not require continuous um, training for the profession. It's just the initial army training. 
Okay. But the others, customs and and police, they for sure have uh, yearly uh, training education to become a, a police and a customs officer. Okay. And is there any expectation after they retire from, from biathlon that they continue working there or is there no obligation or anything? Yeah, there is for sure um, certain requirements to, for the time, having had the support to also uh, serve some time after. And that right. depends a Can lot on, on how many years yeah, someone yeah. got supported. And of course, right. uh, in the police and custom system, you can become a police officer, a regular police officer or a customs officer and, and work right. in that field. Right, right. Huh. And and so you were part of that. So that system has been around for for a while. This system has been around yeah, for a long time uh, yeah, before yeah. I was in it, and uh, it has been very successful. And I think it's still one of the main pillars why mm-hmm. Basel in Germany is still successful. Right. Well, and, and I, you know, I think that's one of the. Um, I don't want to call it a weakness. I guess struggles of the Canadian system is you have to have, you know, the opportunity to find work and, you know, probably some financial backing from family, parents, that exactly. kind of thing to, to be yeah. able to even attend a program like the BATC, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, and yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, Canada had this system mm. and I can't remember now when, when it stopped, but... Uh, there were quite a few, like Mareike Chiarmidaro, Sina Koch, Robin Clegg. Um, there were uh, quite a sharp packet. Um, there were quite a few in this um, uh, army-supported biathlon uh, program. And right. uh, but then, uh, yeah, Canadian uh, army uh, stopped it, and unfortunately, it never came back. Right. Right. So with the the different structures and, and, um, you know, having so many more athletes uh, available or in the pool, so to speak, is there a different mentality, would you say, between young Canadian athletes or biathletes and and German? Like, is there more pressure in Germany, you think, or? Uh, It's... it's, um... I'm still observing <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Uh, it has been a while. Uh, I would say in, 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 in abilities, <laughs> a Canadian athlete and a German athlete, there, there is no difference. Uh, right. and, and of course, there, there can be genetic differences in athletes in general uh, mm-hmm. and so on. But um the, the only syst- difference is maybe, um, and this the cultural difference of, I would say it's almost the education system. In Germany, when you start in school from class one, you are, um, there's high demands that you reach your um, school marks. And if you mm-hmm. don't, you don't advance. Versus in Canada, it's a little bit more supportive and a little broader, more uh, life skills oriented. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I'm not saying one is 
worse than the other. Uh, I'm just saying the difference. Uh, I think um, when I look at a Canadian athlete at age 17, 18, I think they're already more independent uh, in, in many ways. They're more outspoken. They are maybe even a bit more lively. Uh, mm. But the German athlete, they're more quiet. They're uh, maybe not as independent. They need more guidance. But at the same time, they know they have to perform. And I'm, I'm saying that now mm -hmm. for education. Because if they don't get their marks, they won't ad advance and uh, right. uh, move on from class to class. And because of that, I think this has um, transferred to sport as well. So when they do sport, when they do high-performance sport, then they... They know the demands and they work for it and they fight for it. Right. Uh, and I think this fight is maybe missing on the Canadian side. Right. And uh, at that age, because a German right, right. athlete already has to perform on a high level at this age of 17, 18, in order to make it to one of those uh, organizations, like we talked just earlier, uh, army, right. police, and so on. Because if not, then the support is not really uh, that great right. for young athletes. Because uh, it's hard to combine, again, as anywhere, uh, to combine education like university with high-performance mm -hmm. sport is really a tough, uh, tough direction. And so a lot of athletes, I think, here in Germany stop too early. Right. Because uh, if they don't make it at that age, they feel, okay, uh, I tried it, but now let's get on with education. Right. Whereas That's, in Canada, yeah. I think there is a bit uh, longer, um, even so, it's costly. Uh, okay. Canadian athletes tend to um, try it out longer and, and see where they can get to. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Which is, especially from the the German uh, point of view, unfortunate because you know, there's plenty of examples of biathletes that bloom when they're a bit older, right? So, exactly, so, yeah, uh, and that yeah. is uh, right now a little bit of a discussion here too, how to, yeah, maintain athletes for a longer time. Uh, how to maybe find athletes from other sports and bring them in. And, and as you know, there have been some good examples from athletes coming, especially mm -hmm. from cross-country skiing and uh, starting with biathlon later and having been very successful. Right. And, um, for example, I have now an athlete coming from track and field, and it will be interesting mm -hmm. um, where she can get to um, only now within uh, – yeah. Uh, the last two years really making that move and um did you ski before that though like just as like a amateur for fun or yeah but but not on on a high performance level uh, right right as i said her high performance was actually in track and field yeah yeah and um yeah so it will be interesting uh but it looks good her ski technique looks already good nice. her engine is is really good and um 
the one thing right now is mainly the shooting uh, where right. there is still some work needed. Right, right. And is is there also, uh, like you see here in Canada with hockey, for example, that kids start really, really young and there's a lot of pressure. And by the time they're 18, they're just completely done with the sport because they don't want to deal with the pressure anymore. Do you see that in, in Germany with biathlon? At all? For, for sure. And it's not bio- mm. not only biathlon, but in general with uh, mm. high performance sport, the demands right. of it. And as I explained a little bit, um, maybe the demands and uh, are higher and where the culture is to perform mm-hmm. as a young child or, or a young adult uh, very early. And that is maybe the big difference to Canada. Right, right. But uh, when I say Canada, you just brought the example. In hockey, it's in Canada the same thing. Oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> in certain sports... Uh, like hockey, I would compare to German soccer, the way of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the demands and the popularity and, and all that. Right. So when you, uh, uh, I, I just joined the uh, the 50s and over club this year. Um, so I'm starting to call myself an old guy. But um, when when I talk with other friends in my age, we always still feel that, you know, specialization in sports is something you should um, delay as long as possible to to make sure you develop you know everything on your body not just very sports specific um is is that is that similar in, or is is there still that that feeling for for athletes as well in germany or is that also very focused on specialization at a young age now the problem is here very similar as it is probably worldwide that uh Young people now don't bring the athletic base anymore. Um, mm. I even see this now in Germany where, you know, at my time when I was an athlete, uh, the school system still had a fairly good um, broad sports uh, program uh, versus when I came to Canada, seeing, you know, that in, in, in schools there was no gymnastic being done there there was hardly any athletics being done uh, uh, it shocked me but now i think it's it's almost the same here and that's of course for uh, some is for liability issues uh, so that mm-hmm. uh, sport or teachers don't want to touch certain aspects anymore others okay. are just the yeah it's just not cool anymore for for the use to to do, let's say, endurance sport or to right. to do gymnastics or whatever. Uh, so I think it's it's the same here, a lack of general athleticism. And I know by the uh, German Federation, Ski Federation, that a lot is being now, a lot of initiatives are happening to encourage clubs and coaches and, and athletes to work a lot on, on the basics. Um, so that means uh, coordination, agility, uh, basic endurance, um, skill development in younger years. So, mm-hmm. because it's also being seen here as as um, a lack of it. Right. Right. Um, going back a little bit to so your current role is is that called a regional t- training center? Is that how you would define it? Or yeah, it's uh, it's a regional training center within the system of. Um, so it, it's it's three layered. 
Uh, first, it's uh, the German Ski Federation, or the, the partners in this whole system is uh, uh, most and foremost is um, the region, which is called Bayerwald. That's the largest uh, Bavarian region in the way of uh, skiing and biathlon. And then uh, the next layer would be uh, the Bavarian Ski Federation. That's my employer. And then mm-hmm. the next level is the German Ski Federation, where they also have more of the strategy of developing, uh, especially now they're looking into developing, again, certain regions uh, with sort of development training centers. So okay. there, there is a t- two main ones, uh, Oberhof and Ruppolding, which are World Cup sites, and of course also right. the sites where mainly the national team uh, is situated. And then everything younger is situated more in uh, in regions. And uh, one, of course, is also Ruppolding. One is also yeah. Oberhof. There is another one in northern Germany in Klausthal-Zellerfeld. There is one out um, west in the Black Forest in uh, Notschrei-Furtwangen. And then this would be an eastern one uh, here at the Czech border at Arbor. Right, um, right. And is it all like, is there a certain structure or guidelines from the national level to the, I don't know if they're called provinces or, uh, but that, so the Bavarian level and then from them down to you, to your group? Yeah, it is uh, for sure uh, totally tied in with the whole German system with, right. so the freedom of the region doing what they can do. Uh, with the given infrastructure. I mean, the, right. the, the biathlon site here is a, uh, has the infrastructure to hold international races like IBU Cups, Junior World Championships, had the European uh, Championships here before. Uh, so has a, actually has a co- accommodation on site. Uh, athletes can stay there. We can have training camps up there. We have also similar to the Bill Warren, we have weight rooms. Uh, uh, there is uh, snow storage. There is snow making. Uh, it has an elevation where I would still say that uh, in normal winters, it's safe to have snow uh, mm-hmm. at a thousand meter. Um, and then now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are trying now to get uh, this uh, room and board schooling with training uh, started. So I think it has all the the right um, elements right. to to make it a successful development center. Okay. And then, so would your uh, athletes, is there, does it start with like a, the Bavarian championships and then the best would participate in the national championships is sort of is that sort of the path or yeah this is actually one other element where there's a big difference uh, and maybe that's also uh, developing racing and uh, high performance better is a really uh, intensive uh, race season so hmm. for example we are starting here in mid-september with the first uh, German Cup. It will be a roller ski uh, race, two roller ski ra- uh, biathlon races and one running biathlon race. And that's already a part of qualification for the Youth Olympic w- Winter Games. Okay. And uh, that would be the first one. 
And then uh, in December are, um, so before Christmas, there are two German Cups. Uh, and then after Christmas, there are another five. And uh, you pretty much can say that every second weekend is a German Cup. And that is uh, high level. This is um, for youth and juniors, uh, except maybe the juniors who have already uh, international level and uh, who get selected to go to a junior IBU Cup or a junior world championship, they will be racing more internationally. But the, the youth and the younger juniors, for them, the German Cup is their race circuit. And as right. I said, you know, every second weekend, and it's between, uh, of course, there are mainly German German uh, locations, but because of snow, sometimes they're in Italy or in Austria. And anyway, um, if I compare to that to Canada, uh, there is nothing like that. There is right. uh, even the NORAM races where the U.S. comes to has never that competitive level and uh, the numbers of athletes mm. competing as we see here in a, in a German cup. And this is maybe, or this is for sure why Canadian teams, younger athletes have already at a younger age have to go to Europe to get some race experience uh, at a high level with a lot mm -hmm. of uh, other competitors uh, at the age of uh, 17, 18, 19 Right. Whereas a German athlete is still very domestic racing. And, is, and, are and those yeah, races... there are German championships uh, at some point, more towards the end of the season, mm -hmm. in, in those age categories. Okay. And then the, the so the cup, you were talking about the, the cup events um, in Germany, is that only for a certain age group or is that anybody and then they divide the participants in age groups or... It's um, anyone in the 22 plank, um, small bore caliber categories. So okay. anyone from the age of uh, youth to the age of senior men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the, the biggest uh, groups are uh, youth and juniors. Mm -hmm. And for those categories, it's very important because the overall points uh, will qualify them for a national uh squat development squat and or for junior ibu cups and junior world championships and possibly for one of those organizations like uh, uh, police or army right right and do you have any idea like on a race like that uh, the youth group if there's an individual like how many athletes are we talking about like 100 or 50 or the, the categories are, I would say, 30 to 40, uh, let's okay. say, youth uh, women and the same for youth men. Wow. Uh, so, you know, the, the numbers in Germany are also not as high as you might think. Mm. Um, it's by far not uh, as Norway, uh, right. where you have 100, you know, in each category. And right. uh, so right. in, in the way... The German Cup is probably the size of uh, Canadian championships at the end of the season where uh, that number of athletes you will see in a, in a German Cup. Right, right. But then every second week for 
five or six yeah, exactly. races. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and you mentioned snowmaking. Is there? Are you close to any ski tunnels? Is that still development? Because uh, I think Germany has one or two now. Is that right? Yeah, there, there's one in Oberhof, and as I said, it's about four hours away from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another option is, of course, glacier skiing in, for example, mm-hmm. Ramsau, which is also about uh, yeah, would be four or five hours from here. Okay. Yeah, four but hours. No, no planned development of more more tunnels that you know of. No, no, I, I don't no. think, uh, I think uh, Ovo fulfills that aspect. Yeah. Um, I mean, in Europe, there is another one in, in Tursby in, in Sweden. And the athletes, uh, like on, on the national level, uh, World Cup level and so on, of course, they utilize that more. They mm-hmm. also have the money for that travel and um, the costs for using tunnels and all that. But uh, Otherwise, I, I don't think it's really necessary to mm. to be on snow um, that much um, right. during the summer. Uh, it's for sure an advantage, and I always felt uh, we had an edge on that as a Canadian team with Kenmore mm. having frozen thunder loop and having those having those two kilometers already at the end of October. Yeah. So we were about four weeks ahead than any European country or Central European country in that sense. I think that mm-hmm. really helped. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, and then the other aspect is how for how long, for example, in Kenmore or Whistler, you can ski in the spring. Right. And um, so you can extend the skiing for a long time. But but I, I think, you know, from from June till October, you really don't need any snow. I, I think it's actually, uh, honestly, I, I don't believe it's uh, it's that important. Okay. And then, um, so when they're not on snow, do you still have a high importance for roller skiing or is it any oh, yeah. type uh, of... Roller yeah. skiing for sure is what uh, yeah uh, provides the ski-specific training. Right. And this course here, is probably, yeah, it's really demanding. Uh, we only have two and a half kilometers here um, of uh, a two and a half kilometer. I mean, there are different cutoffs and you can right. make different loops, but uh, it's it's really undulating terrain. Uh, it's very difficult, uh, very technical. And uh, something, for example, we never had in Kenmore. And I hope right. now with the, the new construction that the extension uh, we proposed uh, up uh, the steep hill from, on the 3.3 that actually this will come come together eventually and will provide some some <laughs> uphill because uh, right. you know, Kenmore has a nice six and a half kilometers, but it's really there is no uphill in it. Right. Well, that's not my experience, but, <laughs> but I guess from a from a professional or at least a, a serious athlete, I can understand that that's... Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it has no. uphills, but, you know, yeah. it can be pushed through in in a right. one skate, uh, right. the whole course, and, and you don't so have to use an on, offset. <laughs> are they planning on extending it onto the, like the, the, the side that has the Olympic race? Uh, tracks 
uh, sorry, in Canmore for for the yeah, sorry, in Canmore, yeah, yeah, it, it's just below from the bridge going up, the opposite direction of the three point three competitive okay. loop, and up towards uh, where the bike park is. Gotcha. Okay, well, that'd be interesting. So that's a steep climb. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want um, to go down it. <laughs> that, yeah, that that's because <laughs> that must be hard. Uh, that's always what I think about when when you see roller ski tracks. It's um, it never. I don't know if it's just the lack of possibilities to do so. You, but you would hope that they design it with you know steep climbs, but then very gradual downhills. Because yeah, yeah. Um, I find it scary, and I can imagine the the real athletes go a little faster than I do. So. Uh, no, bit, this is uh, definitely something like here the course we have is also has demand on on the downhill right. uh, where yeah uh, you wouldn't want to go down as a beginner uh, hmm. but uh, and it, it takes for the athletes who do it the first time uh, it takes a little getting used to it and uh, yeah, yeah going yeah. getting over the fear factor and and you uh, roller ski with them yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I still do, and this is, uh, yeah, I, I like it, uh, mm -hmm. especially with younger athletes. Uh, it's it's good to to be with them, to see what the load is, what the demands are, and to give them technical points and right. yeah, right. and keeping my skill and fitness level up as well. Right. Yeah. 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 I I remember. Uh... I think last time I saw you in camera, you were skiing with uh, Helena. Yeah, yeah, right. I think <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you had a pretty solid pace still. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you for uh, chatting with me in, in this uh, part one of the, uh, the talk we're having with you. So Jordan will hopefully join us in the next one, and then uh, we can continue our conversation. Great. Thank you.